couple named Tom and Grace had been married for quite a while, and they just hit that patch that lots of marriages go through where they're just not getting along. They're working at cross purposes. They're frustrating each other. Things are just not going well. And, uh, and you know, we, we see that in marriages around us, and maybe have even been there a little bit ourselves. And so they decided that the thing to do was to try to get some help for this and discovered that there was going to be a, uh, a marriage seminar dealing with communication that weekend in their area, and they determined to go to it. So uh, they went, and here they are sitting in this seminar room, and the instructor leader is up in the front talking about communication. And one of his points early on was, he said, it is essential that husbands and wives know each other's likes and dislikes. It's essential that husbands and wives know each other's likes and dislikes. And then he, he committed the ultimate seminar instructor's sin, and he pointed out someone in the room, and he pointed at Tom, and he said, can you name your wife's favorite flower? Tom leaned over and gently touched his, her arm and whispered, it's Pillsbury, isn't it? <laughs> and that's when the fight started. There's a lot of, you can take away from a story like that, but I have one point that I want to grab from that little illustration to share with you this morning, and that is, man, it's hard to know sometimes uh, what's important to people in your life, whether it's your mate or your kids or your, your co-workers, teachers in, your, in classrooms, your, your neighbors, I mean, just anybody. We, we often don't really know everything we need to know or want to know from the people in the life about what's important to them, what they want, what they need out of life and out of us. And if it's really hard for you and I to manage that just on this human interaction level, imagine how difficult it is sometimes for us to try to figure out what it is that we think or know that, that God wants, that God wants for me and for you and our in our lives. And it's a question that's useful. It's an important question. It's something that we need to consider and need to answer as we continue on through Core 52 this year and as we've come to this topic. And it's, the topic is just that. It's just knowing God's will for our lives. How do you do that? How do you know that? If I have a hard enough time figuring out what my wife wants, how in the world do I figure out what the creator of the universe is after? Well, the good news is, is it's possible to know these things. The bad news is, is, and I'm not the first one to come up with this idea or this statement, but the bad news is, is a lot of times God is a lot more interested in revealing His will for my life than I am in receiving it. He's a lot more ready to tell me what it is that He wants and thinks is important for me and for you, but I'm not necessarily always willing to listen to that. And so we find ourselves spiritually and in every sense of life kind of being like old Tom leaning over and saying, well, is it, this is what it is, right? And we're wrong. <laughs> so we're going to talk about this this morning, and we're going to look at what God's will means. And the first thing that we need to appreciate as we think about God's will and just talk about some of the 
elements or the, uh, the aspects or the various parts of God's will for life, the first thing we want to do is recognize that there is a thing that we that theologians and Bible scholars and those kind of people call God's general will. This is God's will for everyone. And we start here for a really important reason we'll talk about in just a minute, but we start here because we need to appreciate that. We need to appreciate that God in his will, his desire, his plan, his expectations for us is his creation. In fact, the highest of his creation, his image bearers, God has certain things that he wants, needs, plans on for everybody. Not just the Christians, not just certain people, but for everybody. And so this list I'm going to share with you very briefly this morning is not exhaustive by any means. But these are some of the basic things that we need to know, and they provide us a bit of a framework to use as we think about life and how we do things, how we make choices, how we decide what's going to happen, whether or not we're going to include God in that or not, and if we do, what is it that he really wants or thinks is important. And one of the first things to recognize is God wants you, me, everyone to be saved. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 reminds us the Lord isn't slow about his promises, as some people think. No, he is patient for our sake, for your sake, for my sake. He does not want anyone to be what? Doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God wants everybody to be saved. If you're moving along in life, and I'm talking to the folks who may be maybe in the room today, maybe watching online or catching this recording Later, if you haven't ever accepted God's love and grace and mercy in Christ, if you've never said yes to Jesus to be Lord of your life and Savior of your very existence, if you've never confessed his name and followed him into death and resurrection and baptism, then you're automatically outside the will of God for your life. It's very hard to move in a godly direction if we haven't taken that step. So part of that framework is God wants everybody to be saved. If you want to know what God's will for you is, the first thing that you need to know is he wants you to be saved. The thing for, the re- for, the, for those of us, and that's the majority of the people here in the room and watching online right now, is we, we made that choice. We, we stood up in front of a group of people like this at one point in life. We went into the baptistry in the church or in the creek or the river or the lake or whatever it was, and, and we, we decided to follow Jesus, and, and we're doing that. We're, we're doing that um, uh, every day to the best of our ability. So the question then is, is as you and I move through life, as we try to determine what's the best thing to do, the best options, the best plan, the best course of action, The question you and I need to ask, who are already part of the redeemed, is the choices in front of me, are they helping me to stay closer to God, to remain in that state of salvation, to remain in that that holy, wonderful relationship with God through Christ, or, and we see this, are the choices and the options that I'm taking in life are they pulling me further away from that? Are the people in my life, are they having more influence on me than I am on them? Is their influence on me bad, rebellious, sinful? It's an important question to ask. It's always important to remember that God's will for you, for me, for everyone, is that they 
are saved. Related to that very closely is that God wants you to be whole, W-H-O-L-E, yeah, complete, all together, and he wants you to be holy, not Swiss cheese, holy, H-O-L-Y, set apart for the purposes of God. God wants those two things in your life. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, God's will for you is to be what? There it is, right there on the, on the screen and in your book. God's will is for you to be holy. In this particular case, Paul's telling the Thessalonians, stay away from sexual sin, which is good advice in an over-sexualized, hyper-sexualized world that we live in now. God desires and will, his will for you is to be holy, to be set apart for his purposes. Chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, tell us a little more about that. Staccato, powerful, boom, boom, boom statements. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is what? Say it with me. This is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. God, if there's any question in your mind about a, a, a course of action, a place to go in life, a choice to make, a, a person to, to, to bring into, into covenant with you, if it's a marriage or, or someone you want to be uh, close to, it's important for us to say, how does this affect God's will for my life that I am whole and complete and holy, set apart for his purposes? Will these choices allow me to be holy, to keep me away from all kinds of, of, of rebellious activities in my life and things that I think will make me happy and fulfilled but really don't like sexual sin? Is what I'm doing in life creating more joy in my life? Are the choices that I want to make going to cause that to be more true in my life or less true? Are the circumstances of life right now hindering or blessing your prayer life and your thanksgiving? God's general will for your life is that you are whole and, in fact, wholly set apart for his work. So he wants us to be saved. He wants us to be complete and whole and, and, and functional and well. And part of that is how we live our lives, and that's holiness. And on top of that, God wants you to do the right thing. He wants you to do good. The Bible, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. What Paul or uh, Peter's trying to tell us here is how you live matters. And God's will for your life, for everybody's life, is that we do good. Uh, in this passage here, it's called honorable behavior. And so every day I, I have the option when I get up in the morning of deciding, are the things that I'm going to do today, are they honorable in the eyes of God? Are the people I'm going to interact with, I'm going to deal with them in an honorable way, or am I going to be dishonorable? Am I going to be ethical or unethical? Am I going to be moral or immoral? I have a choice. God's will for your life. If you want to know what the right thing is as far as God is concerned, it is always for us to do the best we can to do good. The reason is not just for our sakes, but Peter reminds us it's for the sake of the world. That it makes a difference to other people when we choose to do his will and do good things according to what he says are good. Even if, as verse uh, 12 reminds us, even if people don't see it at the time. Even if people don't understand it and they even call us evil or bad or wrong. 
In the same book, in 1 Peter in chapter 3, he reinforces that. And he says, you know, even if it means that you suffer for doing good, even if doing good comes at a cost, it is God's will for you that you do the right thing. If it's what God wants, it's better to suffer. Uh, it's, it's better than to suffer for doing wrong, to do good. These are just some of the general will things uh, that the Bible tells us God wants for all of us. This is not unique to pastors. It's not unique to elders. It's not unique to moms or dads. or any, It's everybody. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be complete and mature and holy. He wants you to do good. And if you think about it a minute, all of this wraps up and is kind of the branches on the main tree trunk of the two great commandments, isn't it? That we love God and that we love others as we love ourselves. So really, simply put, if, if there's a question in my mind, a question in your mind, on whether or not something that we propose to do or some action we're going to take or something that we're going to say or do or believe in or what have you, whatever it is in life, if the question in our minds is, is, is this really God's will for me? The question, the simple question, isn't to have to necessarily go look up a whole bunch of passages, though it's never a bad thing, but just to ask a basic question. Is what I'm about to do or say or think or feel, the way I'm going to act, is that going to show how much I love God? Is it going to bless and cause me to love others more? Or is it moving me in the other direction? Kind of boils down to that, doesn't it? So this is kind of the general will of God. Jesus talked about this a little bit in John chapter 7, verse 17. He says, anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or it's merely my own. Jesus says, don't miss this. You can know what to do. You can know what God's will is. And when we do God's will that we do know, we discover his will for what we don't know. The more we do what God has called us to do, the more likely... So, if we move from this kind of big blanket, this big picture, and try to move a little closer into if you could know what God is thinking, wouldn't it be amazing to know his perspective and his opinion? And it almost sounds a little blasphemous to say that puny, tiny little creatures roaming around on earth could presume to know the mind of the creator, like Ants trying to understand humans. The amazing thing is, is that you can. And we know that because the Bible tells us that and says, in fact, you and I as followers of Jesus have the mind of Christ. We can know the deep and hidden thoughts of God. We're going to walk briefly through 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and just pick some, some parts of that passage that elaborate and affirm this idea because you don't have to guess you don't have to are in God's will for you or not you can know this more and more now Paul starts off reminding us of something and it sounds almost like the opposite of what we just said but we have to appreciate it no one can know a person's thought except the person's own spirit and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit now, we started off with Tom and Grace. You remember them and their marriage problems? 
You know, and we all kind of, yeah, we either have seen that in life or we kind of maybe know a little bit about how that is. It's hard to know what another person's thinking. Remember your first real job interview? Sitting there across from that person and they're looking at you and you're trying to interpret the body language and the facial expression and the questions they're asking and the comments they make and they're like, oh man, you're sitting there going, oh man, they hate my hair or they don't like the shirt I have on or I didn't answer that question right. And we're, we're projecting our own anxieties and fears on this individual and putting thoughts in their heads that may or may not even be there. First date, remember first dates? Say, oh brother, yeah. First dates, they may go wonderful, but man, I can't think of anything much more anxiety-inducing than a first date. Trying to figure out anything at all about this person that you are across a table from. What are they thinking? Do they like me? Do they, do they not like me? You know, did I order the wrong thing? A person's thoughts, and the only one who really does is the person themselves. God is the same way. No one knows God's thoughts, but God himself. But what he says in the next verse says, on the other hand, for Christians, it's not exactly the same way. For people out in the world, no, they don't know what God is thinking. They don't know what God wants for them. They don't understand God's will. But for the Christians, it's different. In verse 12, he says, we've received God's Spirit. Now, what did he just say in verse 11? No one knows God's thoughts except God's Spirit. Well, if we have God's Spirit, then God's Spirit is living within us. So, he says, we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. Now, there's a lot there. But all it's really saying is because we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit against the day of salvation, because God's Spirit lives within us, we have access to that. We know it. We understand it to some extent. We can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. We don't have to guess all the time what's on God's mind. But it's important to remember something. And that is that spiritual truth is understood. Worldly lifestyle that doesn't uh, promote or represent God's priorities, that's when we get off track. That's when we start to get tangled up in sin and rebellion. And it's, it's part of that general will thing of, is what I'm doing bringing me closer to God or driving me further away? And so as, it, as, as the Spirit lives within me, either I allow or create or submit to that Spirit the opportunity to be, have more and more influence and control in my life, or I push it down. I have the will and the free will to do this. I can push it down. I can tamp it down. I can stop the Spirit from speaking into my life. And when that happens, I know in my life, and I think you know this too, that what I do is I start making some pretty poor life choices. As we say in the world today, I begin to regret my life choices. But spiritual truths are understood by spiritual people. And so when we allow the Spirit to live and work and move more in our lives, literally the more we know what God wants for us, we know His will better and better. So part of the thing that has to happen, part of the activity in my life and yours is, Am I going to choose to let the Spirit have more control in my life, or am I going to hold it back? Now, the other personally, 
besides giving the Spirit direct control, will over what's going on, the other thing is knowing what the Word says, what God has said about things. One of the reasons we did, we've done Core 52 all year, for, every, for those of you who have been able to be with us through this whole thing, is the, the ultimate goal was for us to have a better grasp of the 52 core passages versus doctrines in the Bible. So we'll know what God wants for us, what His desire for us is, how He wants to bless us, the warnings that are built into all of that. And the problem for most of us, candidly, is that we really don't know the Word like we should. We don't know it that well. I've been encouraging you all year long, and here lately especially, knowing that we were going to come up to this point, just to read it, just to get the Bible out and read it. You don't have to make it a, a big, long, involved thing. Just every day, let some of the Word into your heart and into your mind. You know what's going to happen when you do? You're going to know the Word better. And you're going to know what God wants for your life more. In verse 14 of the same passage of 1 Corinthians, Paul says people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. Only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Well, where do you get that? You get it from knowing the Word. You get it from understanding the Word. Folks who are maturing spiritually have the means and the opportunity to access God's will. You can know the thoughts of God because you have the mind of Christ. That's what it says in verse 16. Who knows the Lord's thought? Who knows enough to teach Him? No one, obviously. But we understand these things for we have the mind of of Christ. We can't instruct God, but we can know God because through the Spirit we understand what Christ is about. As Spirit-filled believers of Jesus, we align ourselves more and more with His priorities. We hear His Word more. We understand and we have more potential to access those thoughts of God. So when you and I read and obey that Word, we understand more of what He wants to do in our lives and through our lives. Basically, in short version, the more we obey the Word of God, the more we'll understand His will. But I'm going to get close to the end here with a warning because I think it's very important that we hear this. Here's what happens when someone has fulfilled the general will of God. They've, they've come to know Christ. They've accepted Him. They're, they're, they're living lives in Jesus. They read the Word and they bring it in themselves. But at some point, and, and we see this happen all the time, at some point, it just starts to happens in our lives, in someone's life, and they put up barriers to the Spirit and to the Word. And God recognizes that this happens in people's lives. And he, all, even, all the way back in Isaiah, in that wonderful, beautiful passage in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah gets his calling to go be a prophet of God, and he sees a vision of, of, of the Ancient of Days, the Father in heaven on his throne, and the angels flying and singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, just like the hymn that we sing. And he's, he's amazed by this, and he gets a, a, a mission from God to go and tell God's will to the, Israel, to the people of Israel. But God gives him a warning in the middle of all that. And in verses 9 and 10, here's what he says. He says, go and say to the people, the Israelites, listen carefully, but don't understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn to me 
for healing. God is not saying that he wants people to not understand his will, to not know the word, to not have the spirit affecting their lives. That's not it at all. What he's saying is this is a reality. This is what people often do. And we do this to different degrees of intensity. Some of us a little bit, and some of us a little more, a little more, a little more. Learning. In fact, it's a warning that's repeated three times in the New Testament. Here's just one of them from Matthew 13. It's basically the very same thing. This is Jesus talking to the same Jewish people hundreds of years later, and he says, this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend, for the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes can't see and their ears can't hear and their hearts can't understand and they can't turn and be healed when this happens and I just want to urge you to never let this become the truth in your life when this happens it's a lot like living next to the train tracks and you get used to the sound of the freight trains going by to the point that you don't even notice it anymore don't even hear it anymore. That's exactly what happens to us spiritually. We can hear, we can be in the church, we can be here all the time, but we don't know the will of God because we have hardened our hearts to it. We've closed our eyes, we've shut our ears, and it just bounces off. We become numb, and we don't know anymore what it is that God wants. And when we don't know what God wants, we're going to find ourselves a little like Tom and Grace, sitting there wondering why it is we're so frustrated in life, why we're so upset and angry, why we do anymore, and we're anxious and concerned and fearful. And it's because if we're not careful, we find ourselves shutting it off. So the warning today, encouragement, hope, is that we will not get to the point where we can't hear God anymore, no matter how loudly he shouts into our hearts. Know God's will. Know God's general will for your life. How do you do that? You let the Spirit into your life because the Spirit interprets godly things for you and interprets your heart and your mind for God. Read the Word. Just get into it and read it. And do not let life get so out of control that you harden your hearts to God. Let's pray about it, church. Father in heaven, thank you for telling us so clearly in your word and through your spirit, through one another, how to know what it is that you want for our lives. God, we never want to be to the point that we're so tired and frustrated that we give up on, on our faith, give up on you, give up on the church. Forgive us when those impulses strike us. God, we pray earnestly that we will know your will for our lives and everything that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name.